Hey guys, welcome back. It's Chris Bircher. This is Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom, episode 138. The cause is at the source. And that may even seem a little bit redundant, right? Because isn't this the, the cause the source? Okay. When I learned science through all my different degrees and working and being a researcher, one of the things that I really you know, got behind or got excited about was this idea of causality and how very infrequently we actually understand the relationship between whatever it is that we've observed that is the result of something. You know, it's the response, right? We see a response in the world. Oh, there's elevated CO2. Oh, I broke my leg. Oh, I'm super fat. You know, we look at problems because that's what humans do, right? Evolutionarily, we've, you know, our senses have been tuned to the environment to predict and observe injurious <laughs> scenarios, right? So we have this negativity bias, right? That's just the way it is. We see the responses. And then we'll usually want to know, because we're curious and because our brains and nervous systems are so complex, what happened? What, whose fault is it, right? I love it when somebody says, I can't find my wallet. Who stole it? You know, it's like, we're so bad at guesstimating the cause of things. So causality is a real snake in the grass. We don't, we think we get it and we don't. Um, You know, something like if you're extremely overweight, you might say something like, uh, you know, well, I just have bad genes or it's hard for me to exercise because my knees are bad or uh, my job just really isn't conducive to me having time. To, I don't have time to exercise. I'm, I, you know, uh, I can't afford to eat well. You can go down all these lists when really there's a couple of real causes, right? You bring in too many calories and or you don't burn any. You know, the, 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 the caloric budget is such that your body, body produces more fat than you'd like. I mean, and, and what the... The cause of that is maybe a little more nefarious. It may be a little bit, you know, there could be trauma involved where you have an unfulfilled and unmet need that you only can, you've learned to meet through eating or something. So, you know, it's complicated, but it's, we think it's easy and there's the problem. (laughs) We think we can identify cause and effect. And so when I was a scientist, I, I sort of boiled this relationship down to, and I've talked about this before on this podcast. Responses of stimuli. So a stimuli happens, you know, like, um, you know, somebody flexes their muscles and throws a punch and a response happens and somebody has pain in their face. Uh, You know, um, a a response is your basement is flooded and the stimulus is the climate has produced a whole lot of water in a flood or the weather, let's say, whatever it is. Um, The forest is on fire is the response and lightning striking a tree in dry conditions was the stimulus. You know, there's it, it. We like things to look like this and that's important. And I like, and I love it. And I don't think we're going to get away from that. What we need to get away from is how wrong we are <laughs> about what causes these things. You know, we think we know it's like, uh, <laughs> yeah, like Nemo, you know, you, you, you think, you know, but you don't, <laughs> or you think you can do it, but you can't, whatever. We're just really bad at, cause-effect relationships. And that's the simplest way to put it, cause-effect, right? What's the cause? We describe causes, well, some terminology that I learned as a scientist is that there are proximal causes, things related to this, you know, like diet. Well, you know, you do work a lot and you don't get home until late at night and you live in a climate that's really cold. And so, you know, exercising is hard. 
That's a proximal cause. But what we really want to get to is sort of the ultimate cause, right? Or let me, this model is that there are lots and lots and lots of proximal causes. And they're, some of them are very close to what you're doing. Some of them are you know, easy to identify and easy to get rid of. But the problem is, if you get rid of a couple of proximal causes, you'll learn that nothing changes. I'm still overweight. What's the problem? I started exercising. I started eating better. Uh, what's the problem? You know, I got a better job and I have better income, but I still don't have any money. I'm still living to check to check to check. You know, uh, maybe one of the proximal causes is I, you know, have the uh, commercial free version of Netflix and I'll just cut that out of my budget and then I'll be rich again. It's like, what? Saving $2 a month didn't result in me being rich. That was a proximal cause. And you got to work your way upstream. And so I say the cause is at the source. And in here, I have a metaphor in my head because I am was a stream ecologist. I learned a lot about river networks and the global hydrologic cycle where water evaporates up into the sky. It Air masses that are very moist can move out over water or change temperature. And the water in the air can condense out and reduce, you know, result in rainfall, which happens either over oceans, replenishing their volumes, or over land, running over land into streams and rivers, gets into the groundwater, and we have these, you know, water moves around the earth, right? From a stream perspective, if you go all the way up the stream, so the streams in the oceans are water in, you know, the fluid state, not ice and not vapor, on the earth, right? It's sitting on the earth. It's either in the ground, it's on top of the ground, or it's in the ocean, or it's in a lake. Uh, and th- that's a body of part of the hydrologic cycle that is of interest in the water form. The water is also in vapor. It's in the air. It's uh, you know, it's like steam. It's in it's in vapor form, and it can condense and fall out. And it also can be in ice, tied up in glaciers, or temporarily in ice and lakes and snow and things like that. The part of that world that I worked in was streams because that's where all the, a lot of the, the freshwater biology is. And that freshwater biology is a good indicator of the Earth's health in the same way that the ocean biology is a good indicator of the Earth's health. If, the, if aquatic ecosystems, because it covers 70-some percent of the Earth, are in good shape, we can infer that the rest of the planet might be in good shape. And it's sort of like if you have a healthy arts community in your community, you can use that as a measure of kind of the overall health and, and, and uh, quality of life in your community. Uh, maybe that's a stretch, but it works for me. And so I worked in those streams. I worked in streams. And what you find is that streams follow a continuum. They get bigger and then eventually they become the ocean. <laughs> they flow into the ocean, right? And If you follow a stream, and I did this for several summers, I worked a job where we would basically go on federal land and start walking up a stream, and we would take data about that stream with steps and all this other stuff until we reached the end of it. And so I walked hundreds of streams to their end. And streams would do a lot of interesting things. Sometimes they would disappear only to recur 100 yards upstream. They would, you know, because they have an intimate relationship with the groundwater. I don't want to really go into stream ecology, but streams are actually fed from groundwater. Stream flow is not the result of rain. It's the result of upwelling from a mass of water under the ground. So you don't really see the stream. All you see is the water on the surface. But if you go up far enough, you eventually reach... A point which many people refer to as being called uh, springs, where the water just comes right out of the ground. 
That's the source. That's the source, right? And as you get further and further closer and closer to that source, we talk about those being the headwaters. And so with respect to cause and effect relationships with things and problems, for example, that humans have, we're picking, we're in the stream somewhere, probably in the river, right? And a stream is something that you can work in, you know, probably like five to six to maybe 10 feet wide, not very deep. As they get bigger, they become rivers and eventually they, they flow into the ocean. So you got ri- river, stream, headwaters, spring as you go up, right? And I see human causal factors, health problems that we would have, social justice issues, climate change, obesity, anxiety, depression, you name it. There's no shortage (laughs) of problems in the world, right? We're in the stream or the river, depending. And what we do, to, to use this metaphor to death, is we go, I'm drowning in this river. I need a raft, right? We have found a proximal cause. I'm drowning because I don't have a raft. If I reach out and I got a raft, I'm not drowning anymore. But maybe that's not really the cause. How did you end up in the river? What's going on further upstream? Why is there so much water? Maybe I was standing on a rock and now all of a sudden the river came up and now the rock isn't there anymore. That's really, you know, uh, the cause is whatever made the volume of water increase, right? And my point is, We are usually looking for solutions to our problems at the spatial scales of the problems themselves or within the scope of the problem themselves or within the river or stream that the problem occurs in. And very rarely, and those are great, those are all proximal potential influences on the problem and they may be very important to address, but very rarely are they the ultimate cause of the problem. And in the paper that I'm working on, I use the example of CO2. We've got too much CO2 in in the atmosphere. And whether you believe that or not, the data suggests that there's more CO2 in the atmosphere than there ever has been as far as we can estimate and as far as we've measured back in time. Now, that could all be wrong. But if you look at it, it's got the classic hockey stick graph where CO2 is pretty much really low. And then right around the time of the Industrial Revolution a couple hundred years ago, it just shoots up. Anytime I would see a graph like that, I would be like, whoa, something changed. So you know, no bias or whatever, just saying that something changed and CO2 concentration appears to have increased. All right. So one of the things we do is we go, well, probably all that came from fossil fuels. We don't really know that, but it's a pretty good guess. Pretty, pretty good. It's a proximal cause. Burning a lot of fossil fuels does put a lot of CO2 into the atmosphere. There's been lots of other things proposed like methane from cow farts and all these, whatever. Maybe those are important. Maybe they're not. This one looks pretty good. Uh, we've attached to it, you know, we're, we're working on it. Um, let's call it a proximal cause. CO2 is high. Here's one of the things that's causing it. We burn too much fossil fuels. Then the next thing is, well, we drive too many cars. Well, what if we make our cars electric and then we're not burning the fossil fuels anymore? Now, many people think that's a solution. And God bless them. I don't want to disparage anyone from trying to do the right thing. The problem is, in this case, It isn't accurate because we're addressing a proximal cause. Yes, driving cars, and not everybody does this, but let's include tractor trailers and 
interstate commerce and deliveries and supplies and markets and all that stuff from diesel burned in tractor trailers in deliveries and transport as part of that. Well, it turns out that part of our fossil fuel budget isn't really all that big. I can't remember the exact number, but I want to say it's something like 20%. So if we switched over all the delivery vehicles and all the personal vehicles in the world to electric vehicles tomorrow, we'd still be burning 80% of the fossil fuels. Plus, the gasoline that comes from and the diesel that comes from burning those fossil fuels is a byproduct that we would get anyway. And so really, there's not a whole lot of reduction in fossil fuel usage by transitioning into electric cars. So that's a proximal solution, a proximal cause, not the ultimate cause. And if you really want to work on this, and so what do we do? We go further and further upstream, right? So we said there's too much CO2 because we're burning too many fossil fuels. That's a little step. And then we go, well, burning gas, uses a lot of fossil fuels. Let's stop burning gas in cars. That's a little bit of a step up. And then we go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Part of the problem is just, just within the cars and the trucks, we're delivering products all over the globe. Why are we growing apples in Florida and shipping them to China to be turned into apple juice only to send them back to Wisconsin to sell in the stores as apple juice? That's asinine. Well, no, no, no. We got to do away with all of that kind of stuff. And that gets us a little bit further upstream by saying we need to prioritize more efficient use of these things on a broad scale just within the transport sector of fossil fuels, right? And then we go further upstream and say things like maybe cruise ships are dumb. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get into the whole travel thing. Maybe jets are dumb. Maybe we weren't meant to travel that fast all over the planet. If we really want to reduce fossil fuel consumption, these are the places we go when we go upstream. Of course, we can always decide, no, that's stupid. People are never going to do that, so why bother? But it's a worthwhile effort to actually identify the actual causes, whether or not we plan on doing anything about it. Like if we want to stop, if we agree that fossil fuels you know, introduce 90% of the CO2 into the atmosphere, we really want to change that tomorrow quit, right? Of course, that's going to have global economic repercussions. And that's another step upstream. You go, let's eliminate all fossil fuel burning and drilling and all that stuff. Let's just get rid of it. And then you go, well, all these other industries and human considerations are, are, are tethered, as Nate Hagens would say, linked to that. And so we have to consider the repercussions in those markets. But generally what we do is we go, can't do that. And then humans do not like to be told we can't do something so what we do is we build those models out and we look at what that's going to happen this is all moving further and further and further upstream another step up would sort of to be like well why do we measure the quality of life using gdp part of the reason we want to do all this stuff is is we can move so many products around to fuel the capitalistic economy well is that really that important let's look at the repercussions let's look at what we could actually change in a perfect world where this wouldn't affect any humans and model that. And then we sort of say, well, this is this created some big problems here that not a lot of people are going to get food. Well, what if we switched our, you know, local food sources to or it's food sources to more local and we have to do that anyway, since we're not burning fossil fuels, you can come up with solutions and you're moving further and further upstream. And I think ultimately, when I say the cause is at the source, I think if we do this sort of an iterative exercise using experts from all the different disciplines, using a, a consensus-based discourse approach, uh, 
pick any problem, whether it's anxiety, whether it's fossil fuel and climate change, whether it's overfishing. I think if we go through these iterative exercises, you actually, they all go back to the same or similar source. Because again, the water cycle, all that water, even though this particular stream may come from this particular spring, the water that fell from the sky and fueled that aquifer, that groundwater that's actually pushing out through that spring has been in the ocean. It's been in the atmosphere. It's been all over the earth. It's been in dinosaur pee, right? That's the beauty of the global hydrologic cycle. Those water molecules have literally been everywhere. So there's not a single source. But I think what we'll find is that the ultimate source is something to the tune of human value systems. There is, and, 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 and again, subsequent episodes in my life's work will further address this question. There are tenets, if you will, principles, golden rules, bill, bill of rights, uh, Ten Commandments, commandments, whatever, that are commensurate and fit with our position as a species in the biosphere. Right? If you, if you allow... If you allow our ecology and our evolutionary history to come into play and help determine what it is that we're supposed to be doing as part of a highly functional, a healthy, uh, productive, uh, responsible ecosystem, that can kind of help guide what our global universal values and sort of paint a picture of what looks like good human behavior and what looks like bad human behavior in the context of nature, if you will, for lack of a better term. All these ideas will be more developed. I'm sort of presenting it in the next most cohesive way as it evolves right here in real time. Uh, and I think all of those different li- uh, sort of upstream exercises will arrive at a, f- at a, at a fairly consistent consensus. Unfortunately, there's going to be a whole lot of casualties along the way because we're going to have to undo all of the systems that we've created and redo them, you know, and nobody wants to do that. But I see human evolution as sort of making a really bad left turn at Albuquerque, you know, maybe several of them in the last 10 to 15,000 years. And we had some opportunities and we made some wrong decisions, which led us in the wrong direction. We have to fix those. How we do that? I've identified sort of the, the critical elements, consensus, discourse, all the different expertises, a better representative democracy so that we can actually get everybody to the table. It's hard to work with 8 billion people, so we're going to have to send representatives. It has to look something like that. But we're going to have to redo political structures, religions, get rid of the things that haven't been working, and truly have a hard conversation, or 50 million, about some of the things that might have gone wrong and might not be working anymore. And all of that will come out by moving further upstream. And again, not to knock people who are working on the fires that are burning right in front of us. We still need those people. We need the the triage first responders. We don't want to let people drown in the river, obviously, but we do want to go figure out what's going on upstream to sort of, you know, fix the problem long term, right? That's what I'm talking about here is actually making effective change instead of putting band-aids on the problems. And I will stop there. The cause is at the source. 
This has been episode 138, Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. I'm Chris Bircher. I appreciate your time. Take it easy.